Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, range and livestock specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. My guest today on The Art of Range is Jack Field. Jack and I have known each other for, I think, about 25 years going back to college, and our paths have crossed at various points uh, over the last 25 years. Uh, One of the things that Jack does now is sell insurance for livestock, and we're going to talk, we will talk a bit more about that. Uh, I want to also mention this is the first sponsored episode that we've done. I invited Jack to talk about this because of advances in livestock risk tools, uh, including insurance, and because Jack has been involved in, I believe, every industry segment uh, from lots of different angles. Uh, Jack has been a cow-calf producer and a yearling producer for years. He has been the executive vice president for the Washington Cattlemen's Association, and he served as an executive for the Washington Cattle Feeders. Um, and all of those roles have included you know, m- numerous Uh, species of communication, both internal and external, and he has a pretty good handle on what livestock producers need. Uh, So I want people to hear somebody who's not um, an insurance salesman. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tip. Uh, I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to uh, join you on your podcast today. And as you had mentioned, we've known each other for uh, 25 plus years, uh, going back to, uh, meeting each other at university of Idaho, go Vandals and, uh, also, uh, go Cougs. Um, today I'm uh, happy and, and proud to have the opportunity to visit with you and your audience about, uh, some really handy risk management tools. And you had touched a little bit on, um, my past and I fully understand, uh, the hesitancy that livestock producers have when, uh, a salesman or an insurance agent or someone says, have we got a deal for you? Um, I was that person that was hesitant and uh, not that certain of the product myself. Uh, it took a little while for me to understand it. Once I had a chance to use it, uh, I've seen it work. I know the programs work. Uh, that's why I feel so comfortable in providing it and working with producers throughout the Pacific Northwest. Uh, the programs are very strong uh, and they provide a good quality base of protection that allows producers of all sizes the ability to lock in some certainty in these uncertain times. Yeah, I look forward to it. I want to mention also that uh, we have as another guest, a repeat guest, uh, Dr. Shannon Nybergs. Shannon is the director for the Western Center for Risk Management Education, uh, which also is one of the funders of the podcast, but Shannon is primarily a livestock economist and has a much better handle on some of these things than I do. So he will function as a bit of a co-host today uh, and and help me think through some of this with Jack. Shannon, welcome back. Yeah, thank you, Tip. And I look forward to talking with you and Jack. So my job is to ask the dumb questions. And my first dumb question is, why livestock insurance? I understand crop insurance has been around for a pretty long time and I think has a much longer history of use, but livestock insurance seems new to me. Can either one of you provide a bit of a, a history on where livestock insurance came from? And maybe it's been around for a long time and just hasn't been widely adopted until recently. Any thoughts there, Jack? I, I would I would agree with your, your uh, latter statement, Tip. The Livestock Risk Protection Program is a product that is uh, offered as part of the USDA's crop insurance program. Uh, it has been around uh, for, I would think, 15 plus years. I remember uh, talking about this with the Washington Cattlemen's Executive Board uh, many years ago. However, as of late, I would say there's become a much stronger focus and uh, involvement from producers in the program using the program and I would credit a significant portion of that uh, of that uptick in utilization to last year's probably the most significant change that USDA made in a number of years to the program was they increased the producer subsidy uh, from 
20 to 35%. And they had moved the payment of the premium from day one when a producer would take the policy out to the end date. So in many situations, you didn't have to tie up your working capital. Well, you still had that that protective uh, bubble of a, of a policy. I would say this last year, we saw two significant events that really highlighted the importance of having some system of risk management, whether you be a cow-calf producer, a yearling operator, or a cattle feeder. And that would have been the coronavirus issues that we've seen, as well as um, the Holcomb plant fires and some of the issues that we saw throughout the livestock markets as a result of some of the recent recent activities and, and news. Um, once we see the, the slingshot effects in the marketplace, whether it's um, corn crops uh, or estimates going up and down and, and the impacts that those have on our feeder and fed cattle markets, it really highlights the importance for producers of all sizes to really take a close look at how they manage and mitigate the risk. The nice thing about the Livestock Risk Protection Program, the the product that we're talking about right now, is that it is probably one of the most flexible tools available. Uh, A producer can take a policy out on a single head. Uh, You don't have to think about traditional contract loads uh, or large volumes. There's no margin calls. So, a producer knows right up front what his or her entire premium obligation uh, will be. So it's it provides a good amount of certainty, uh, and it's it's a very simple product when when we step back and look at the details. Yeah, maybe as a way to getting to talking about some of those specific products, uh, Shannon, can you say a bit about what some of the motivations would be from a more generic, um, you know? farm or ranch specific risk management approach when where and where does insurance fit into that yeah thanks and i would start with saying that these programs are evolving and these insurance programs are being updated as producers provide input and experience with these programs as jack mentioned the increase in subsidy payments on uh, the livestock risk protection and different other factors across these insurance programs. And so I think it's important to keep an open mind on looking at what those improvements are and keeping abreast of those changes. One of the things that would uh, people would be interested in purchasing these insurance projects, products is the as the management of your cash flow risk, because it all boils down to cash flow. And when these shocks occur, the negative cash flow implications can be really significant. So the motivation to protect that cash flow really stems from your personal situation on how much working capital and equity you have in your operation, but mostly just the protection of cash flow and these risky businesses with slim margins, these insurance products can really buffer the risk that's out there. Uh, Jack, you mentioned as we were talking just before we started recording that there has been a, a drought declaration. I suspect to many people talking about buying insurance right now after a drought declaration sounds a bit like trying to take out a life insurance policy after you've just been diagnosed with stage four cancer. Uh To what extent is it too late and to what extent are there some useful things that people can still do to try to buffer some risk against forage losses right now? So to to transition and as we look to uh, protecting one uh, in in regards to forage losses, um, for livestock grazers and hay producers that – are already signed up there there's a usda insurance program called the pasture range and forage program the sign up period for that program runs september 1st through november 15th Uh, the crop year would then begin january 1st so we're we're in the middle of uh, the 2021 crop year right now for producers that are not currently um, covered uh, they will have to wait another two months, uh, or excuse me, another month and a half uh, to two months, that September 1st window uh, to be able to uh, 
sign up and then have coverage on their operation next year. However, the Farm Service Agency uh, has declared in, in the last time I looked, virtually every county in central and eastern Washington uh, at some level of drought, be it uh, uh, D3 or D4, meaning uh, three months or four months of payment for livestock grazers that graze on non-irrigated native pasture. Um, the sign-up, the, the requirement to submit your acreage report was Friday, was, excuse me, Thursday, July 15th. Um, there is an opportunity for producers that have not submitted that signed acreage report. They can pay a late, uh, late penalty. I believe it's a $45 per farm late filing fee. You'll want to double check with your local farm service agency office on that. But producers still would have the opportunity to submit their application and be eligible. So if you're anywhere in central, eastern, southeast Washington, I would highly recommend if you have not uh, signed up for the livestock forage program that you contact your county farm service agency and uh, ask some questions about that. Or you can look online if you go to the farm service agency website, uh, you'll look under their uh, tab about, I believe it's uh, disaster programs, and there's a really good uh, PDF that pops up along with uh, current mapping. You can click on the most current map of the native uh, pastures throughout the United States, and it will show every county uh, in the United States and whether or not it is listed or at what stage of drought it's currently in. Uh, in. Yeah, we can put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, we'll talk a little bit then about what specific insurance products are available and how they work. So if we'd like to go back and we'll, we'll touch on the Livestock Risk Protection Program first. The Livestock Risk Protection Program, that's all the acronym for that is LRP. And that's a program that cow-calf, yearling, or cattle feeders can utilize to protect themselves from uh, downside movements in the market. Uh, the program is based off of the Chicago Mercantile Feeder Index on the feeder cattle and on the five-state weighted average on fed cattle that grade uh, 65% choice or better. Uh, the program is based strictly on price. So when we think about LRP, every day, the uh, risk management agency every day that there are offerings. So each day when the market closes, as long as there hasn't been um, a limit down or in some situations uh, can limit up movements, there may, may not be offerings. But in a normal trading day, uh, at the conclusion of the market, somewhere between about 1.30 and 2 o'clock Pacific time, we'll see the offerings that are available for, for purchase that day. The shortest policy that is offered is 13 weeks, and they increase in four-week increments, uh, going up to a 52-week policy. Uh, depending on the day and on the volume of trades, that has a big impact on how many offerings you'll see in each four-week interval, as well as how many of those uh, uh, offerings will be made. And, and it's not a guarantee that Every day you'll see uh, a 52 or in, in sometimes if there's been a lot of uh, uh, activity, if the market's been uh, up and down, uh, there's sometimes when there might be a very small number of offerings. The benefit of the program is that as a producer, there'll be you'll see uh, per coverings, uh, coverage levels as high as uh, in some situations, you may see a 99% covering. Uh, you don't have to purchase coverage at the highest level. Um, you might elect to go down. It might be somewhere in, in the mid-80s. Um, the lower your coverage level, meaning you're going to have a lower coverage price that you're insuring, um, that reduces your premium. So with LRP, once you select a price that you'd like to protect, uh, you're able to lock that in. Uh, you'll be able to see, for example, on yesterday's offerings, you can insure a 599 pound steer calf, that would be uh, in weight class one. Uh, the highest coverage available 
would for a 13-week policy would take us through the 18th of October, and you could protect yourself at 175, 75, 100 weight. That's going to cost you four dollars and seventeen cents per hundred weight, so twenty-five dollars a head on a five hundred and ninety-nine dollar or five hundred ninety-nine pound steer. So what does this mean? We've 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 insured one animal. We have a twenty-five dollar premium. What have we done here? So now you have a policy. You've protected that one seventy-five seventy-five uh, price at the end of your uh, endorsement. On the 18th of October, if the feeder index, now again, all you're doing is insuring against price decline. It doesn't matter how much you sell your calves for. There's no requirement that by the end of the policy that you even have to sell your calves. But um, ideally, when producers, the producers I work with, when they take a policy out, we try to time the end date of the policy as close to when they're going to be shipping or marketing their cattle to maximize the protection and ensure that the policy doesn't end and then a week or two goes by and then they decide to ship their cattle to make sure that they're protected from some type of a downward swing in the market. If we get to the 18th of October, and remember, we're, we're insured at 175.75. If the feeder index comes in at 170 even, you would have had a $5.75 per hundredweight loss. Now, you would have your $4.17 uh, premium that would get taken out automatically, and you would have a $3.33 net uh, per hundredweight, which would come out to $19.95 per head that you would end up uh, receiving as an insurance indemnity. So the idea behind that is if the feeder index is derived by looking at, I believe there's 13 markets throughout the central and southeast portion of the country that report on a daily basis uh, trying to capture and demonstrate the value of every pound of feeder calf that's marketed to try to tie that back as close as possible to bring futures and cash together. So with that $19.95 indemnity payment that you would have received from that loss, you would have that to offset because technically speaking, if the feeder index dropped, there's a fairly good likelihood that you might have seen a pullback in the cash market when you marketed your calves. Uh, on the flip side, if we had those cattle insured at 175.75 and when we get to the 18th of October, if the feeder index is 178, uh, the producer would then have to pay their entire premium of $25. However, you would have been able to hopefully see a much stronger result in the market when you sold those cattle. And not only you'd, you'd have had to pay the premium, but you would have seen an increase in the value that those cattle brought on the cash market. Does that make sense? It makes, it makes great sense, Jack. May, how about uh, some comments on the timing? Because you mentioned that it's tied to the futures market, feeder cattle's futures market index. And what do you recommend producers do relative to timeliness of executing these insurance contracts? So I've, I've got producers on that will span the gamut on this. And I put myself in this, uh, in this list as well. I, I start looking once I am done calving and I know what I have for a calf crop, I actively start to look uh, and watch the LRP offerings. Uh, it seems at times there, there might be some seasonal spikes. Uh, the earlier you purchase a policy, the more premium you'll pay just due to the increased duration of the policy and the length of coverage. Um, I would say a lot, the majority of producers that are going to market their calves in that October to Thanksgiving window, kind of the October, November, uh, they're, they're going to start looking somewhere around the middle of July, basically from the, the first, first week of July till any time now. Uh, and it just depends when they, 
when they decide to take that policy out, realizing that 13 weeks is the shortest policy you can purchase. A nice thing that USDA and the RMA, a change they made last year was they increased the amount of time that a producer can have to market their cattle before the end of the policy. Um, Now they will allow you to market your cattle 60 days before the end of the policy and still retain it. So in a situation like we're in right now, say you had, uh, whether you're insuring yearlings or your your cow-calf crop, you might have had normally you're going to ship the first of October. And as things are getting dry, it might be a situation where you have to wean in August. Uh, you could ship those cattle if you if you ship 60 days or less before the end of your policy and still retain your LRP policy in its entirety. Now, you won't know until the end of your endorsement whether or not you have a loss, meaning it's it wouldn't be based on if you sold your calves 45 days early, you wouldn't use that feeder index as your uh, end value. You'd still need to wait until the final day of your endorsement to determine whether or not there was a loss. But um, that little bit of flexibility has been one that, unfortunately, in this dry weather has been used. And, and it's a tool that uh, allows for a lot of folks to have a little bit of, of pause because otherwise uh, the last thing a producer needs is to have the double whammy of uh, shortened uh, or ex- a shortened grazing season due to drought and then have a risk management tool that they're not able to fully utilize because they had to market cattle uh, prematurely. One of the questions I've got is that uh, the program, the LRP has been around just long enough, I think, for economists like Shannon to examine the history of how the insurance has worked out for various situations. Uh, Shannon, what have you and others found in looking at that? As Jack mentioned, the trigger is the change in the futures market index relative to the level that you insure. And so the futures market is, uh, in theory, it incorporates all the available information into that price that's posted. And so historically, the level of changes has not been as dramatic as we saw in last year with the COVID price shocks in the spring. And so the coverage level is an important decision that the producers have to deal with in purchasing the LRP. The higher coverage levels means that your likelihood of triggering a payment is higher, but it also costs more, as Jack pointed out, in the added premium cost. So you have to balance that. But in looking historically, our, uh, on the coverage levels, it was a 90% or greater is needed to historically uh, trigger those payments when they occurred. Maybe a follow-up on that tip. The One of the nice things about LRP is that it gives the producer the flexibility to determine that. So the individual gets to decide at what level do we need the coverage. Um, I work with, and I, I see this more with uh, yearling operators or feeders, but where they'll select a break-even or, uh, for instance, they might look at it and, you know, we'll will price things out on yearlings, say an 850-pound steer, and the premium, the, the highest coverage might come back with a $35 premium, for example. And they might look at that and think, well, that's a bit more than we want to insure uh, or tie up in, in premium. What can we get for $20 or $22? And it, we've got the flexibility to look at the coverage and just simply by dropping back uh, a few percentage points on your coverage, it gives you a great chance to still have a good bottom bottom side. And for those producers that know what their break-even is, whether it be on a, a calf or a yearling, you could, you could elect just to lock in and protect your break-even. Um, there is no requirement to buy the highest coverage, uh, and that's something that gives people a chance to 
still get some good downside risk protection like we've seen with COVID, the plant fires, et cetera. Uh, you never need insurance until the bottom falls out. And when it does, folks are always glad that they have it. It's, it's a nice tool with that added flexibility. And one of the other important components with LRP that you do not see with futures contracts is LRP has no margin calls. You know right up front what this is going to cost. When you look at the cost per head, uh, that is your total cost. That has That's all in. There's no added uh, hidden fees. Uh, you know if the premium is a $25 or a $20 per head premium, that's what you'll be spending. You don't have to be concerned about four weeks down the road, uh, you don't get a call saying we need some money for the, um, for the account. There's, there's nothing due until the end of the endorsement. And at that time, it's strictly the per head premium. Yeah, I, I promised I would ask some dumb questions. Uh, we've been talking about calves and yearlings. This happens to be a year when a lot of people are trying to sell mother cows. Uh, is there, would this, could this apply to mother cows? Would you have to identify that up front? When would that have had to been purchased? Or am I barking up the wrong tree? Un unfortunately, this is only going to be a feeder or uh, fed cattle tool. We don't have any um, any products out there to help with uh, slaughter cows or bred cows in, re in that regard. Got it. Uh, we discussed, Shan and I were talking with Matt Reeves in episode 63 about forage monitoring and uh, offered some additional thinking on ecological risk management. Are there insurance products out there for forage that are not specific to cattle? Well, we would certainly, uh, the pasture range and forage uh, program, PRF, is a product that is available to uh, livestock grazers or hay producers, and that's for producers that run on either irrigated or non-irrigated ground. On grazing, there isn't any uh, difference between insuring an acre of irrigated versus non-irrigated ground. On the hay side of things, uh, there are different premiums. Um, the non-irrigated premiums are higher than the irrigated premiums, and they vary uh, location by location. Um, the U.S. the RMA utilizes a grid system that cuts the country up into uh, uh, rectangles, and within each grid, the ground that a producer um, either owns or rents uh, would be eligible to insure. Um, the program utilizes the NOAA weather stations and they look at the four closest NOAA weather stations that record precipitation on a daily basis and average the readings from those weather stations each day and uh, use that to monitor, to create uh, a record of precipitation. That precipitation is then measured against uh, a data set that starts back in 1948 and runs through um, the last completed crop year. So in this case, 1948 through 2020. And on with the pasture range and forage program, uh, it gives a producer similar to LRP the ability to select a coverage level. Um, the highest coverage level with the pasture range and forage program is the 90% level. So what that means is if uh, you insure your ground, for example, let's just say right now in June, July, and at the end of July, um, if 90% of that historic rainfall and precipitation had been recorded, you would not receive any payment. If less than 90% is recorded during your insured period, that triggers a loss. And that would mean that you would receive some amount of indemnity payment. And the amount of payment is going to be based upon uh, two factors, the number of acres that you have insured and the deviation uh, from basically the difference between what was recorded and what that historic average was. Um, the PRF program is one that has been become 
a very important risk tool for producers of all sizes uh, as we look throughout the Western United States, especially right here in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, it's something that has seen a huge level of interest and utilization uh, since it's become available here in Washington State since, uh, I believe, 2016. Um, the program is very simple. It does not require any record keeping or loss reporting from the producer. You simply select the time frame in which you would like to insure um, the acreage that you're insuring. And at the end of each uh, respective uh, interval, that's the two-month consecutive window in which uh, producers insure, um, if it's less than your coverage level, that's going to trigger a loss. Um, producers are able to participate in the pasture, range, and forage program, as well as the livestock, uh, excuse me, the uh, livestock forage program, LFP, uh, the FSA program. So it gives, in some situations, producers the opportunity to participate in a federal disaster program, as well as being insured um, where they might have a chance to receive uh an indemnity payment as well. So the the biggest thing is, and, and what I've found in talking with producers throughout the, the tri-state area is even in the years when they may receive a very large payment uh, from their pasture range and forage policy, um, many, many, many times that's kind of goes in one hand and, and out the other because it's utilized to port purchase additional feed or offset the losses that uh, individuals are incurring when you think about uh, dry conditions and what happens if you might have to wean early, lighter weaning weights, etc. But the PRF program has become a very, um, very important tool and one that I've seen a dramatic increase, uh, especially here in Washington State as of late, and certainly looking to uh, Oregon, Idaho, and uh, Western Montana with a great level of interest from producers. Great. I don't remember for sure whether at the beginning of our interview I said that you're with CKP Insurance. Uh, and do I understand right that CKP Insurance is a larger insurance company that provides you know, all the normal lines of insurance, but that you only sell pasture range and uh, livestock policies? Correct. Correct. I uh, just do the pasture range and forage as well as the livestock risk protection and uh, a couple other uh, more uh, tailored livestock policies on uh, breeding bulls and some equine policies. But it gives me the opportunity to work with uh, – cattlemen and, and hay producers throughout the, the West and provide a really valuable management tool. And it's, it's one that um, I'm not just selling it, I use it. And I've seen firsthand how the program works. Uh, I've been able to uh, use my policy to help offset uh, shortages of forage production to buy extra feed it's uh, a very good tool, and it's one that I would encourage producers of all sizes, irrigated or non-irrigated, to consider, um, especially as we look right now with the importance of being able to secure enough feed. Um, many people I've talked to are thinking about uh, supplemental feed, uh, feeding throughout late summer and into the fall much earlier than they would in a normal year. Um, if, if folks have uh, insurance, in many cases, you might have uh, some insurance indemnities to help offset that increased feed expense. Uh, Shannon, I want to come back to you for a minute. For a lot of farmers and ranchers, financial struggles are one of the main things that cause them to lose sleep at night. And for many of them, lost sleep is just the tip of an ugly iceberg. Um, this is a, a pretty big deal for a lot of people. And I'm curious what your... I wouldn't be interviewing Jack here if I didn't think there was some usefulness to this. Um, but I'm curious from a from somebody who's spent an entire career in livestock economics and financial risk management, what some of your observations are about uh, the extent to which this can help people mitigate some of that uncertainty and therefore pretty significant um, anxiety, marital stress, family stress, uh, you name it. 
Yeah, one of the things I used to work for the farm credit banks, and one of the things that they taught me was that on a couple cases, there was some health uh, health issues from the borrower. And I thought that the health issues led to the financial struggles. But the bank management informed me that it's the other way around. It's the financial stress that leads to the health problems. And so this financial stress can be pervasive and it could be on yielding as, as you're facing these risks and you're worried about cash flow, you're worried about your family living expenses. That's a critical uh, priority issue facing farmers and ranchers as they uh, address this cash flow problems and profitability problems. So what ins these insurance products can do is that they could put the floor under the bottom and then you have that solid floor from which you can plan on and build from. And so that uh, you have ability to uh, borrow better. You have the ability to meet your cash flow obligations better. And it just takes some planning. It takes some investigation. It, take, it takes a phone call to Jack. He'll help you walk through those products and also the mechanics of getting the contracts in place. So it's a really critical tool that provides uh, a, a valuable support system. Maybe to, to follow up to that tip, uh, and Shannon did open uh, opened a really big door there. The uh, a couple nice things to think about with uh, providing some certainty is that once once a producer has some coverage and you have the opportunity to look at what a policy might be able to provide, um, that certainly gives gives producers some level of certainty. However, I have worked with a number of producers that. Um, that first year uh, had a fairly large premium and they had quite a bit of anxiety. But if folks are able to get through the first year with success, um, I've definitely seen the pasture range and forage program provide a very valuable and much needed uh, cushion and uh, level of support that will help help many, many operations. The nice thing about the pasture range and forage program is that roughly 60 days after the end of an interval, once the uh, RMA, the Risk Management Agency, and NOAA have posted the official numbers, those numbers get sent to the respective insurance carriers and claims are processed. So I work with customers, again, throughout the, the tri-state area um, for producers that have early intervals, such as uh, January, February, February, March, March, April, uh, that first part of the year, they, by, in some cases, by as early as May, they might start to see some of the insurance indemnities rolling in. So the programs are set up to be able to very quickly turn payments around. Uh, the carriers have all been very good to work with. Uh, the risk management agency has been uh, very helpful. Uh, the program is designed to provide uh, support to uh, forage and livestock producers, and as well as when we look at the livestock risk protection program to provide risk protection to livestock producers. And those these products deliver on that. Um, this isn't something that producers don't need to be uncertain or have anxiety of, well, if we have a loss, will it be paid? Yes, it will be paid, and they're paid very quickly. Uh, and that's something that's been very helpful and has, has given people a chance to step back, take that deep breath. Another item, and on, on both the Livestock Risk Protection Program as well as the Pasture Range and Forage Program, uh, producers can, if they elect, assign their indemnities to their lender. Uh, I work with some customers that have their respective lending facility or, or entity listed on there, meaning that once that premium is satisfied, any of those uh, indemnity payments automatically uh, can be sent to your lender. They can be put against the operating line or whatever agreements you have. So uh, in some cases, that's that's been a very valuable component. And 
every major ag lender out there is familiar and knows about the pasture range and forage program as well as the livestock risk protection program because they're two widespread widely utilized and proven programs that have helped producers throughout the country i'm curious uh, given some of the questions i was asking at the beginning what percent of livestock operations in our region are using this i realize there's all kinds of definitions for a livestock operation, but among the people who receive a significant percentage of their family income selling livestock, any idea uh, in the ballpark of what percent of those um, significant operations are utilizing this kind of insurance product? That might I, that might be a question for Shannon based on the latest economic impact study that um, – WSU did when we looked at the beef community, my my guesstimate would be when you look at the large entities or, or large operations, I, I would say somewhere maybe in that 20 to 25% range. Um, there's, there's still an awful, awful lot of folks out there that have not done it or are not doing it, which when you sit down and explain the program to them, I've yet to have somebody say, well, I don't, that, that's a, a dumb idea. I mean, everybody, when they have a chance to look at it, sees it as a valuable tool. But I, I think one of the challenges is that it does take some due diligence from the, the producer to be able to follow it. And the one of the drawbacks to LRP, there there would be two drawbacks that have not been addressed yet, but we might see something in the future. One is we're on a very compressed time frame. So when the LRP offerings come out each day, um, so let's just say somewhere between one thirty two o'clock, I try to get them out to my customers as quickly as possible. Um, we only have until. 9 a.m. Central, so 7 a.m. Pacific time the next day to be able to lock coverage in. So, and that that means on Friday, they need to call me no later. I have to have it keyed into the system with an approval number from RMA by 7 a.m. Saturday morning. This isn't something where the Friday offering, you get to wait until Monday. Um, So, unless people have been really thinking about it, it can be a little stressful in trying to make that decision. Do we do this or do we wait? And that's one of the nice things when you look at LRP is that you don't have to do the whole herd. I mean, if you have a hundred head, that $25 premium might be, you might not want to tie $2,500 up in insurance. The beauty of the program is you don't have to, you could look at it. And if you wanted to insure one animal, you could insure a single animal. Um, on the other side of things for the year, the maximum number of animals a producer could insure is 12,000. So they've increased the number of head that you can insure, um, for the year. Uh, and it's something that will satisfy, I think virtually every cow calf producer out there and a large number of yearling operators. Uh, it's a great tool for smaller feeders, uh, and one that, We'll hopefully see some some uh, increased participation. The other, the second drawback is the fact that the duration of the policy and the fact that we're looking at a 13-week policy uh, for some for some people, it's that's a little too long. They'd like to see something shorter. Um, that hasn't been something that's gotten any traction yet. The one good thing about that is you have a 13-week minimum endorsement length. You can sell those and market those livestock 60 days before the end of it. So effectively, um, you could shave off um, close to eight weeks, but still you're you're in that window of having a, an endorsement in place for 13 weeks until you have settlement and determine whether or not you pay the premium or the producer receives some amount of, of loss payment. Hmm, that's good to know. I'm impressed that there's 20 to 25% potentially of livestock operations uh, using this. And I, and I think that's a real exciting point on this podcast is there's, 
room for growth of use in these products. And it, the increased usage won't, won't cost any more in the premium. It's, it's just a matter of making the products known and providing the planning to make these work is because I think for PRF, as Jack mentioned, you have to start thinking about signing up as early as September and then, and then a few months to, to make that decision. So you really do have to plan in advance to take advantage of these tools. That that's correct. The, the benefit to, so to contrast that with the livestock risk protection program, that's a tool that a producer can once once they fill out an application, they can purchase coverage any day that there is an offering. So as long as they own the livestock, and that that's the other requirement, you have to own the livestock. The LRP is a tool for actual producers. It's not a speculation tool. It's not something that uh, if you you know, for example, if you live in an apartment in Seattle or uh, New York City or L.A. and you don't own any livestock, you can't participate in LRP. You need to actively own uh, and be running those those livestock to be eligible to participate. Um, that gives one, that gives you the opportunity to take that policy out anytime throughout the year. Um, when we look at the pasture range and forage program and the drawback to that is that sign up window is September 1st through November 15th for a policy that goes into effect on January 1. A challenge that I run into almost, I, I can guarantee I'll run into it again this, this uh, renewal period is that I'll have customers that aren't sure if they're going to have a lease in place um, by the 15th of November. Um, there's, they're not required to submit leases, but you have to have a lease on the ground, either own it or lease it uh, to be able to insure it. So in some situations, that can be a challenge. Um, but I would say the majority of folks have been able to get that figured out and dialed in. And um, I think with, with as now that the program's been around a while, people are beginning to understand that, uh, and I'm hoping that they can make some some adjustments or work with landlords uh, to be able to address that because um, it can be a very valuable tool for uh, livestock grazers and forage producers if uh, if it's dry during the period of time that they insure. Well, before we move to closing pleasantries, I've got a couple things to say about the new Art of Range website. In the meantime, you guys can think through whether there's something that you want to add that we haven't covered yet. A lot of people listen to the podcast through a podcasting app on a mobile device, but there's quite a few also that listen through uh, the SoundCloud website or the main Art of Range website. And we recently launched a redesigned website with the same web address, artofrange.com, uh, that is mobile browser friendly, but more importantly is easier to search. The links to additional information are more visible and accessible, and we can provide more information on the website than we can in the podcast show notes. And it's a lot easier way to look at previous episodes. Not many of the episodes are time sensitive. So episode four with Fred Provenza on animal behavior and um, rangeland pharmacies is as relevant today as it was two years ago. So I would encourage listeners to take a look at artofrange.com and feel free to send suggestions either for topics or for website improvements um, to my email address. Jack, you're with CKP Insurance. What's the best way for someone to get a hold of you if they want to think through whether to try out livestock insurance? Well, they can they can certainly call me on my cell phone, which is 509-929-1711, or reach me uh, with an email, which is jfield, F-I-E-L-D, at ckpinsurance.com. And I'd be happy to help anybody and answer questions or uh, give them some uh, different scenarios to look at and uh, consider. Great. Uh, Shannon, thanks for joining us. Do you have any 
parting words of wisdom? Only to take a long term focus on this. It's not a jump in, jump out type of tool. It, it, your strategy has to span multiple years. And through that, then those programs really become effective as a risk management tool. I, I would echo Shannon's closing comments and hope that folks would look at that and whether it's the pasture range and forage program or the livestock risk protection program, um, consistency in being in the program, um, make sure you select a level that you're comfortable with and uh, a premium you can manage, but to have that uh, consistently over a three to five or 10 year period, the longer you're in it, the better it will serve and protect you. Just before we quit here, I want to say that one of the features of most Northwest rangelands and grazing lands is that there can be significant variability from year to year, uh, even before people were talking about climate change in uh, the amount of uh, rangeland forage production from year to year. And there are some ways that people can track this on their own that's pretty useful. Something as simple as taking a repeat photograph from the same spot like a corner post on a fence line um, or a a known location within a pasture, maybe a a watering site to get some idea of how that changes over time, both the seasonality of forage production and also the relative amounts of forage production. But a little bit of information can go a long way in helping to interpret how things are changing over time and what that kind of variability looks like. Uh, And, This may also be a bit of a teaser for a future episode with uh, Dr. Jeff Herrick, who is one of the creators of the Land PKS um, Rangeland Monitoring app. Uh, There's a broader suite of applications that are there, but we're going to visit pretty soon about some more structured approaches to monitoring rangelands, both in the for for near term, uh, within year data, as well as more long term data, getting at ecological health. And, and rangelands forest production. So I would encourage folks to come back and listen to that in the near future. Jack and Shannon, thanks for joining today. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, gentlemen. Yep, very good. Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement. Thank you.